please. I am Dr. Philip Roundtree, and you are tuned into episode 64 of the hashtag You Good Man Men's Wellness Podcast. We are on IG Live right now, so salute to those of you who will be tuning in on IG Live. This also will be streaming on all platforms, so definitely much love to you all who are listening on streaming platforms. And last but certainly not least, salute to my YouTube people. Make sure you hit that. I'm going to see if I could do it on here. Hit, hit this little... Uh, the little subscribe button when you do see it on the YouTubes. So this week you might be noticing, hey, we didn't get a we didn't get an episode on Wednesday morning. Nah, because I wanted to go I wanted to go live. I wanted to to give the people a taste of what we do over here on the hashtag you good man men as well in this podcast. I'm waiting for the good brother Michael O'Lenick to get his headphone situation together so he'll be pulling up shortly. But Folk who know me know I like live much better than than pre-recorded. So hence the reason why I'm going live right now. So hopefully you have some questions that you that you want to ask regarding men's wellness. And again, this is for the people who are on live. We'll try to do this once every few weeks or so. So folk who do watch on YouTube or who do stream, they can tune into the IG live, which is my Instagram is Phil underscore Roundtree. You know, Michael Lennox is Sispian Absurdity. It's an absurd name, <laughs> but it, I, I had to Google to see what it what it meant. I'll let him tell you at, at a later date. Oh, speaking of Sispian Absurdity, he just pulled up right now. So we will pull him onto the screen. Yo, yo. Yo, what's up? How you feeling? Doing good. The, vo- the sound sounds good. I tested it. It sounds like it's coming through crisp and clear. Okay. All right. So that's so that's good. So I already introed the pod and let people know we we doing this IG live thing. For people to see what it is that we do. And right before you came on, I was judging you. I was judging your name, Sispian Absurdity. So I think this is the perfect opportunity now to let the people know what the hell does it mean? Because I Googled it, I know what it means, but you let the people know what it means. <laughs> You're just not gonna let me live with this <laughs> IG handle. Uh, yeah, so Sisyphean Absurdity. Uh, why is that my IG? One of my favorite writers is uh, Camus, and Camus wrote a book called The Myth of Sisyphus, and it's all about the question of suicide suicide and finding meaning in life and how do we do that and so the short of that is there is no inherent meaning in life and instead we get to create it so we need to imagine that sisyphus though he's doomed to roll that rock every day up and down that hill he's finding joy in it in some way he's making meaning in some way we have to imagine that sisyphus is happy I've got a tattoo on my side of Sisyphus carrying the rock. I'm just all in on Sisyphus at this point, man. So, so what? So what does it mean to you specifically? So you're giving us the background of Sisyphus, but but how does that relate to you? It's how I understand living. It's how I make sense of the human condition. The fact that we some days wake up and we're left to just toil at the same tasks every day right it can feel just like the rock and instead we got to catch moments like the breeze hitting us just right on a sunny day or the sun catching perfectly across the wall and catching that beauty so it's actually though it sounds negative 
it's actually a really positive thing because since there is no inherent meaning, I get to fill it in however I want. I become an artist. This is a canvas. I get to paint whatever I want this life to look like. Yeah, I and I think that so when I looked it up, that was the, that was what I got from it, right? I wasn't necessarily familiar with the story of Sisyphus, but I just saw a little blurb about the meaning behind it. And it was just like, exactly. Because as soon as we're born, we're told who we are, who we're supposed to be, uh, what we're supposed to believe, and which can cause so much stress, so much trauma, so many, so many issues for us, right? Where we, where we, we get to this stage in life, hopefully, where we start to question things. We want to mm-hmm. ask questions. Um, Asa Hilliard, this Jegna, who's who's a just an amazing amazing human being he's an ancestor now but his whole thing was we need to be asking questions and we ask questions so then we can ask better questions to hopefully get us to a to an answer that we desire right that and so in this instance is it's creating a path for ourselves something that we do something that i've been doing i wasn't familiar with sisyphus and and just this 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 metaphor for life for existence but it's something that i wholeheartedly wholeheartedly believe in we get to create our lives right mm-hmm. we get to create all of this and and so yeah yeah i dig that yeah. i dig that for sure. it, it fits in exactly with what we do every week on this pod man we we go these narratives that have been given to me that are told to be my meaning like society said here you go you look this way here's your meaning this is how you should move through the world and instead on this pod we go wait a second this feels like you're trying to get over on me a little bit let me revisit this and see if it really is how i want to live so like it just mirrors the kind of work we do yeah and so for me it was this idea that i was just never satisfied with the answers that i was given <laughs> right and and that's problematic in certain spaces that that we frequent as 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 communities as societies and and so even when we come on here i don't have the answers i'm i'm not here to tell anybody what to do how to think i'm just here to to hopefully push this idea of critical thinking so you can ask questions yourself and if you can do that then listen Listen, the world would be better off for it. I was at Bell Hooks, who we who we both have an, an affinity for, and her book, Teaching to Think Critically, in one of her chapters, she was talking about how a student stood up and told her, well, why are you trying to tell us what to think? And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That's not what I'm here for. And I'm not sure, you know, we maybe we need to unpack why you're taking it that way. But ultimately, I'm just here to pose different thoughts. You're either going to double down on what it is that you believe based on the, the conversations that we have, the critical thought that I'm asking of you, or you're going to shift your thinking. But the main thing is just to be open, be open to, to other perspectives. Yeah, we just, every week we jump into the conversation of life, man. We understand that we do not have the answers and that we are instead trying to tease out better questions by listening to other people that are experts in their field or have written things that reach our spirits in certain ways. We're trying to promote that sense of connection that you and I both know a lot of men just don't have. They don't get down and dirty with things like this. 
Yeah. <laughs> and being like, why can't I say I love you, man? They're not trying to figure that out all the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so and speaking of that, you, it, we're here with the, for a Q&A episode. So I'm guessing people yes, think yes. we got answers to these. And I, I started going <laughs> through the questions that I received and the questions that, that you sent over. And I was just like, do I have answers for this? I, I just have my, I, I, I have a thought on it, right? I have an opinion on it, but hopefully it'll inform you. Hopefully it'll have you think a little bit more, have you think a little bit deeper. But like, you know, Kanye, he's he's done a lot of things, but one of the most poignant things he's ever said was, you ain't got the answers, Sway. And I'll say, I ain't got the answers, right? I, I ain't got the answers at, at all. So with that being said, Get into the first question. How can I recognize the signs of stress and anxiety in myself? What are, what are your thoughts? For me, that speaks to a question I keep asking myself regularly lately. Over the last like two weeks, anytime I feel anything, my first question is, what does my body need? That's it. Does my, is my body looking for some sense of physical safety right now, right? Is it asking me to rest? Is it asking me to give it a cup of water? Is it asking to be fed? And not just physically, but maybe spiritually, emotionally. And kind of beginning there, you kind of got, the question kind of sets you up in a way because you got to know your baseline first. I can't know when I'm stressed and anxious if my baseline is already up, right? Because now we're talking about what does extra anxiety look like? What does it look like when it's amplified? Yeah. So I think the first thing is, is some kind, I think we could all do better tracking how our bodies feel over a period of time so that we can kind of start learning the scenarios that do drive us in the positions where we're like, yeah, my hands are shaking, so I'm probably stressed. Or my breathing is way short and not deep and fulfilled. I'm probably stressed. My shoulders are up. I'm stressed. Like little notices like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I hear you saying is, first, you got to slow down. Yeah. Right. We we, we got to slow down. There's, there's so many things pulling at us in every direction. We have work. We have families. We have extracurricular activities. So many things that, that we're engaged in as as men where we're, we're, we're usually doing something where that doesn't necessarily have the focus on self. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's important for us to it's important for us to first slow down and just breathe, inhale, exhale. Take, just take those moments and then you can start to, to, to understand yourself. But being present is, is key yeah. because so often, and we've had this conversation where we're, we have no idea who we are because we're so involved in, or we're escaping, right? When you're escaping, you're still not necessarily understanding your true self. You're understanding some aspects of yourself. But as far as when it comes to just the, the physiological needs, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to overlook, especially how we've been conditioned. You know, a lot of the time, those cues we're getting that are stress or anxiety, it's our body saying, hey, hey, can you come here? Can you pay attention to me real quick? Like, that, that's what it is. It's saying, hey, hey, I need you to slow, slow down, step into your body for a second, and actually realize that you haven't eaten today. Yeah. Because you're just so yeah. focused on producing. You're focused on that productive outcome that you forget that you ain't a machine, you're a human, and you need to take care of you. 
But men, we, we've been fed a lie for most of our lives that says, no, 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 keep pushing. Man up. <laughs> and and I could speak to that personally. First, I want to I want to throw out the that nonsense line that we hear, especially for those who who frequent sports, uh, who, who travel in those space or in the gym. Pain is just weakness leaving the body. No, 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 no. It's a signal for you to slow the f down. Right? It's a signal for you to stop. When I when I'm yeah. lifting, I posted a video today and I cut it off, and I had some some young fellas, they teenagers, who were spotting me. And it was like, you, why you ain't go for another one? I was like, cause I know my limit. I'm not here to force myself to, oh, I gotta, I gotta go to failure every time. No, because I, I need to build up some capacity, right? I need to listen to my body and it'll be a time where I can go push a little bit harder. But right now isn't the time, especially if I'm, if I'm feeling some aches, I'm feeling some pains. It's the long game. It's the, this is all about the long game in every aspect, right? Not just when we're talking about um, in the gym. We're talking about just the game of life because, unfortunately, we recognize that, that men have the shortest lifespan when we're, when, we're, when we're talking gender. Yeah, all gas, no brakes sounds cool. Yeah, it sounds sweet. All gas, no brakes. Here we go. Until you're the one breaking down or until you realize that you've gone way, like you said, capacity. If you don't have anything in the tank, what are you pulling from, bro? Just with this mythical idea that you can just push it to another level always, that's, that's not a thing. Our, our bodies tell us when we've hit our limit, and men need to get better at listening to that. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Howley says in the chat, nut up or shut up. I've never heard that a day in my life until two seconds ago, <laughs> until you just put that in. Uh, that's a new first. one for me, too. Uh, new one for me, too. But, um, but yeah, it's like ish or get off the pot, I guess, right? There's just these all or nothing uh, propositions that men are, are often faced with. You're, you're either excelling or you're not doing shit. There's no, there's no in between. There's this scarcity of time we put on men. Like you're running out of time. You got to keep moving. You need to get the production numbers up, right? So if we're not, if we're not filling every space of our time with some kind of productivity, we feel like we're doing something wrong. We're not being that provider. We're not being a go-getter. We're not grinding it out. Like all these phrases are just bootstrap mentality. And men, men buy into that bootstrap mentality quicker than anybody. My hard work will pay off. Not if you're dead. Not yeah. if you're dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and with that said, that leads into our, to our next question. What are some effective coping strategies for managing stress? Mindfulness is my go-to, uh, and I know mindfulness is like very buzzy because white saviorism grabbed it and just ran away with it. <laughs> um, but mindfulness, in the sense, again, body presence, like the ability, like if I'm at a low, if I can feel the stress just starting to build, I'll use breathing. If I've reached a point where the noise is so loud in my head that I can't think, cold water. It is very difficult to feel an extreme sensation on your body and still feel the same level of noise in your head when you're stressed. That's the cool thing about our bodies. We also have these neat little tricks we can pull that we change the focus real quick. And I think that's the, with men, we're also taught, don't change your focus, keep your eye on the target. It's okay, you're anxious, just push through. But really like, no, nah, man, when that noise is crazy, I, my go-to is definitely a 
cold water. If I if I'm so dysregulated that I can't function, I'm throwing some cold water in there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So for me, one of the ways that I that I manage my stress, and I promise you, I'm not going to talk about the gym uh, a whole lot tonight. But it's it is one of the ways that I that I manage stress because it is it's healthy stress. Now there are healthy forms of stress, so it's called you stress, right? These are the healthy forms of stress, whether it's it's physically working out, putting your body under stress, under tension. That is stress. But what that does is ultimately it'll lower your blood pressure, right? It'll help lower your heart rate things that'll help you in stressful times potentially to to not get as elevated right so just from a physiological standpoint there's super benefits of managing stress by putting stress on the body uh, that goes into when i was working with with boys primarily black boys we i would have them do progressive muscle relaxation which is the exact same thing as lifting weights right it might it's not the, the dumbbells or the bench press or something like that but if you go through your body, if you tense your body up, right, hold it for 20 seconds and release, that has the same effect, right? That has the same effect. Um, for me, it's shutting the studio down. Turn, well, I can't, can't, well, I can turn my phone off. I'm, my phone is usually on Do Not Disturb. It's usually <laughs> on Do Not Disturb. The ringer is usually off. The only people that can get through are my my family and I, I can't even say my homies, right? Because they because <laughs> they 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 make the band when it comes to 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 lessening stress. But I'm mindful of of that because you know I need to disconnect from folk. Mm. I was having a conversation with a sister, and something went off on the phone. I was like, "Oh, what was that?" And she was like, "Oh, my notifications for for Instagram." I said, "What in the hell?" Like people actually do this because I've been, I've had all my notifications off. I get no notifications. It's just like, well, how do you know if somebody comments on your post and all of this? And I'm like, who gives a fuck? It's going to be there when I see it. I don't have to have that stress of that constant ringing, this Pavlov's dog of situation that's happening every time a notification or something goes off on my phone. Right. Um, I see Rich, uh, Dr. Rich said in the chat, how about meditative techniques? I could tell you a story about yoga specifically. The year was probably like 2012 and I was, I was deep in the gym at this point. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a yoga class in the gym. So I had my I had my sweatpants on. I had my my uh, my MPC tank top for the lifters who know the nipples be out and your back is exposed. <laughs> so I went into class. And I went through that hour, and I always say that that was the best hour <laughs> I may have ever had doing yoga in that class, doing the stretches. And what happened? People were like homies in the gym was taking pictures, like, oh, Phil doing yoga, right? And it was just like, like yo, that shit felt amazing. It was, I was able, initially it was like fear, like how am I going to stop my mind from running for 60 minutes like it usually does? But then once I became present and I was in that situation, I and I, I immersed myself in the experience. Sixty minutes went by like it was five minutes. I never did it after that, not because of shame, not because of of unhealthy masculinity, but it's like okay, I gotta, I I just gotta lift these weights, right? I just gotta let me just stick to this. It, it takes time away where I don't feel like I can deserve that. I deserve to to be able to be in a room with with predominantly women for an hour, just practicing my breathing, 
stretching my body, showing it new positions and, and new ways to to be. Because again, again, I was chasing this goal of being a natural pro bodybuilder. And then I got natural pro bodybuilder status and it's just like, okay, what the f is next? <laughs> it did and it was like I was I've been chasing this for six years now. I missed out on family time and 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 so because I'm going to the gym twice and this is it? Uh no. <laughs> like, but you get upset at yourself. I don't. I don't know about you, but for me, and I have to show myself grace and love because I think about the times that, like, yo, I was going to the gym seven days a week. Like, what the hell were you doing? I recognized it was an escape for me, but I think about the time it was an escape from self as well because I I, I lacked the ability to sit with myself for long periods of time. So it's just like I needed this outlet, I, and I knew I could rely on this. Yeah, and our coping can definitely become unmanageable at times. <laughs> like coping, used, it's all about it's all about knowing the right dose that you need and recognizing that you are doing something not to be in your body, but to be out of your body. You're trying to run away instead of run towards. And I think men have trouble delineating what that line is because usually they don't like just like the guys taking pictures that you do in yoga, which is we all. That's a hop and a skip to Phil's gay. We all know what that is. Uh, that's what that is. That's the, that, that same male ego of being like, look at him doing stretching and stuff. Funny. And it's like, yeah, weird. Bodies feel better when they're stretched. <laughs> like, it's so strange. Go figure. Word. Word. So uh, alone that same line, it was a question. How do you get your man to start to think more about men's wellness? I always joke that the way I'm going to get my my group up here to really jump off to go through the partners. But if I if the partners find out about the group, the men will show up in the group. Uh, it's a tough it's a tough balance, right? And I think about this a lot because I've said it a bunch of times in this pod that not only do men not have access to their feelings on the whole, but they also so were given a tool to protect themselves from having to access their feelings. They were given anger, they were given rage, they were given the ability to be outside their body at all times. Whereas women were at least given the go ahead to be emotional. So approaching men on this topic can be very, very difficult. One, fellas, we gotta get better at receiving critique. I mean, come on guys. We got to receive yeah. critique. We yeah. got to receive <laughs> critique better, man. That's part of it. But the other thing is we do have to be mindful how we're presenting the conversation. Yeah. Like for me, I, I breadcrumb, man. I breadcrumb guys. I started Jason. I don't hit them with the patriarchy right off the – I don't go patriarchy chair <laughs> over the head. You know what I mean? I'm not going to hit them. But I'm going to talk about when was the last time you felt that overwhelming need to be out of your body to be productive when was the last time you had an in-depth conversation with your friend like if i start showing them the clues i get them on the level of emotionality i get them on the idea of yeah i'd like to feel more because on the whole men recognize that they don't have friends man they recognize that they don't have deep understandings of their body or of themselves they feel that tension so i think if you start at the tension instead of being like hey I need you to take care of your wellness. 
come from a point of care, come from a point of compassion and have resources ready. Cause that's the only thing I've learned. If you give the speech and you don't got the resource ready, they ain't going anywhere, man. <laughs> Maybe a few years down the road, the seed will sprout, but in the moment, they're not gonna jump in. We need to be given resources to men so that when we bring up the idea of working on ourselves, we can go, if you're interested, if this sounds like it's gonna help you, here's where you can go. Here's where you can find some information. Yeah, I, you said a lot there, a lot there. And it's, I, I think the only thing that I would add is model the behavior that you desire. Mm. Model the behavior that you desire, taking care of yourself setting therapy up for yourself it might be some questions that might come up so hey what y'all talking about over there because that, that's one of the first questions we want to know hey were you talking about me in there <laughs> right like because it, it you know whether it's ego whether it's just being inquisitive we want to know like hey what are you what are you talking about in there and that can be an, an open opportunity to have real conversation healthy conversation we know the worst time to do to do it is when there's any type of conflict that's taking place. If you don't have the healthiest of, of communication, asking a brother to, hey, what, what's wrong with you? What's, you need to go see somebody, you need help. And it's just like, huh, yeah, no, that's gonna cause this individual to shut down. Or, this, well, and or, it's gonna cause them to potentially lash out at you. So it's not saying walk around on eggshells, you do wanna address things, especially if you see some patterns that, that is coming up. But it's it's the it's the language that we're using, the approach that we're using, the tone that we're doing. We recognize that human beings are sensitive. Men are sensitive. I know that's why you were saying critique. I was like, she people the, the people that I've dated recently since I've gone through this this therapeutic journey and just enhancing knowledge itself, they know you could drop the critique off to me. You could drop it off. Don't expect it right then and there for me to 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 acknowledge it and well not to I take that back I'll acknowledge it I may push back a little bit but knowing if you know me and this goes to knowing your partner you know I'm going to go reflect on it I'm gonna go sit and thinking about it. and I'm gonna come back and tell you you know what yeah you're right right I I, I could have handled that better I need to be more mindful of certain things but it's all about the approach and yes to healthy boundaries bro. I love seeing you use healthy boundaries because that's what that is. Just because we're receiving critique in a relationship doesn't mean that we need to answer on the spot. And I would actually say for men generally, it would probably be good to do that point of reflection. Like it would be because men are so, even me giving a critique to a man, I see the energy, right? I see the, huh, I got to defend myself. I see the, you start getting dysregulated. So I think it would be a huge practice for men to start taking a step back. Your partner's not bringing something to you because they hate you. They're bringing it to you because they love you and they care Hopefully. about you. Hopefully. <laughs> okay. Hopefully. We're talking, we're talking in the ideal situation here, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, but like we just that, I love that idea of pausing and taking a step back because, you know, this work is hard. Patriarchy didn't just hurt women. It's hurt the men too. And it's going to take men some time to be able to sit with that and recognize that those wounds as wounds. They don't even see the wounds as wounds yet. Like they don't even think the work needs to be started. So we got to watch how we, how we bring up the conversation. Come from compassion, come from care, come from a point of wanting, come from a point of being curious. Like yeah. curiosity is huge. And that's why I like when you brought up the, the mirroring the behaviors as a partner. 
show how happy you are to know that you know what you're feeling. Because <laughs> most men feel something and they're like, what the fuck was that? What am I feeling? Yeah. I don't know what that is. Yeah. It's, it's this idea that clearly if you're bringing it up, hopefully, if you're bringing it up, you're bringing it up with good intentions, with healthy intentions and in showing that you value this individual. What you also have to think about is we talked about the patriarchy. A lot of boys and men grow up, grow up being devalued. They grow up being devalued to where they've internalized it. So bringing up anything that would potentially be beneficial, that's going to be difficult. That's why a lot of the times it takes, it takes hitting a psychological or emotional rock bottom to where it's just like, okay, I need to do something different. This job is upsetting me. This job is frustrating me. What is happening with what is happening with me, right? Uh, and so, we're, and we're bringing all of this into the relationship. So no, it's not going to just be that one time. Like, hey, you know what? You can benefit from therapy. I've been I've been good the last thirty nine years of my life living this way because I've survived. And for a lot of people, survival was enough. Men have been taught that you just survive. That's all you got to do. You can survive. But then what does it look like to go from surviving to potentially thriving? A lot yeah, of us can't see that for ourselves. We raise those standards. Got to, got to. So as we, as we get into the, to the next question, because you, since you injected patriarchy and why, <laughs> and why it's important not to necessarily use that type, that language if you're engaging with a brother who may or may not have that wherewithal, uh, how do I reach men who don't believe patriarchy exists or that it's not as bad as feminists make it out to be? Yeah, this is uh, pretty much my work. <laughs> this is literally what I do on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, there is, I mean, we can, we can see it all the time that like a lot of men are of the belief that like the feminist movement of the 70s fixed everything. It didn't, it didn't, didn't fix everything. Most of the problems still exist. And I still think it's about making an emotional appeal, right? It's not about, you can't, they're not gonna wanna win that argument, right? They're not gonna wanna get involved in this idea of like proving it exists. So it's again, this idea of bringing up adjacent things and start seeing how, showing them how it's affecting them showing them how they're connected to the other people it's affecting. Like, make it real, make it tangible. I think that's the one problem is that a lot of men are sheltered. Listen, I'm a white man. I totally get the amount of privilege I have in my life. But other white men and other men generally, they may be aware of that privilege, but they use it as a way to shield themselves from having to pay attention to what patriarchy causes. They reap the rewards, they take the benefits, and then they go, don't worry, you get paid the same now, which isn't really true. It's not, it's not true. Uh, so I do think it's about making an emotional appeal, getting them to connect with it and getting them to at least get on board with the idea that there's something that's possibly affecting society in a negative way. Yeah, yeah. When I, when I read the question, I, I started thinking first about the language. All right, as I, as I said, when I started this question, because a lot of men aren't going to necessarily know what the patriarchy is. So it's important to, to use language to be able to, to convey such a complex idea 
into a way that's easily digestible for for a, a brother to to understand. When it when I think about the feminist movement, yeah, the feminist movement in some ways helped progress women, primarily white women's causes. Uh, but again, it didn't necessarily do a great job in addressing the causes of of non-white women, of black women. That's the reason why the term womanist is used to to talk about the experiences of of black women. It also didn't necessarily do an amazing job of when we talk about this idea of, of teaching, of educating men. Now, I, now I don't necessarily think that it's one's responsibility if you are being oppressed to educate your oppressor. But this is where I, th I look at this idea of shared humanity and why that is so important. So even if it's a, like a, a, having a, a conversation with a white person and, it's, uh, and I'm thinking like, it's not my responsibility to teach you. But then I look at it from a, a, a shared humanity perspective and say, but damn, it is right and so it's 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 juxtaposing those two things i yeah. recognize because if i don't necessarily to do that emotional labor now now again we're talking about oppressed groups it's not the oppressors the oppressed responsibility to do the emotional labor of of trying to educate of of trying to teach but then it's well Otherwise, how will how will the masses potentially know if we only leave it up to to the you and to me to to do this work? And that's that's the reason why we do it, right? Because we recognize that there is a certain amount of privilege that comes with with being men, with being white, with being a black man. There's certain privileges that come with that, right? And so that's the reason why I have no qualms of pushing back against these these patriarchal ideas that that manifest themselves in the spaces that I that I go to. But especially here in America, uh, Dr. Carr, he, he always says there is no we. He got that from his elders. There is no we here. There's We operate in we. I'm just using the we for, for lack of a better word. We operate as factions here, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very tribal, the, the way yeah. that we operate here. In group so out. Just, in group out. Exactly. And so it's just like it's not my responsibility to teach you because, because of X, Y, and Z. So, I yeah. so for and me, Bell Hooks it writes about exactly what you're talking about there about yeah. the idea of men not being invited in in that period. Like there was a small minority of feminists there in that period that wanted to invite men in, whereas other ones were like, no, no men in this space. And Bell Hooks brings that up a lot about that's a missed opportunity. We have to, we have to meet people at their level of awareness. We can't meet them as fully formed, fully healed people. Men are gonna come in in different stages of unlearning patriarchy. We need to be able to meet them at all those stages. We don't yeah. get to choose. We don't get to be like, no, 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 go do your work alone in the woods and then come back and let us know when you're healed. <laughs> like, that's not how it works. It's funny, it's funny you bring that up. Uh, when I started hashtag you good man at Uncle Bobby's here in Philly, uh, I ran it for like a year. And this sister, she wanted to have a, a, a woman's group. So I sat and talked with her and, you know, let her know what, what I was doing, how I was doing it. And so she ended up starting a, a woman's group. It was it was short lived. Hey, doggy. It was short lived. But but um, but I, I brought 
to her the idea maybe once a month, once every six weeks, that we meet as a collective, that we come together to have conversation. Because we can have these, these conversations in silos of talking about the, the, the opposite, the other, the other. But ultimately, it's not going to be until we come together to where, we, okay, now we're able, we, we're at a, a space where we can have these conversations, where we really start to see the healing and the, the, the collaborative efforts show the fruits, you know, bear the fruit of the, of the labor that's taking place. And she said no. And it was just like, oh, okay, all right, cool. You know, because it's just like, but again, and this goes to this idea of we got to be in community with one another. Because if we're not in community with one another, we're going to continuously be, be this idea of, of punching down, punching up, punching sideways, instead of really having dialogue that, that, that unites us. Yeah, what's the point of coming up with ideas and coming up with thoughts and coming up with grand plans if you can only share them with your one group? Like if you can't put them into action across community lines, what good is that message? It's not uniting anyone. It's not bringing healing. It's not bringing understanding. It's just bringing some, like, this form of, like, protection. Like, I'm protected in my community because I have such a strong knowledge of this, this, and this. But that don't that keeps us silent, like you're talking about. We need to be put into conversation for any of these things that affect men to really get better, or the things that affect everybody on this planet. Yeah, and it's not necessarily to say, like, don't be accepting, not, not at all. And yeah, I, yeah. Understand the, I understand the sentiment of, no, F that. I've, I've had these experiences throughout life, and this is what I've seen, this is what I've experienced. No, I'm not doing it. I respect that as well. Yeah. Well, hopefully you can find one person with whom you can engage with, who's willing to be a sponge and, and, and learn from you. So then they can take that information, take that back to the community. Yeah. Yeah. So, Cause again, this is, this hard. is what ed education is. Yeah. And it's just hard for us to be curious in these times, right? It's oh, hard for us to no, believe. Man. It's hard. It's hard for us to believe that the other group is either worth visiting, worth talking to, or that they're going to receive us. So people don't take risks across community lines anymore. We stay within our nice little bubbles, right? Yeah. Just, we're not willing to be curious to see, well, what is a conversation with this person going to turn out to be? Like, guess what? They might teach you something. And even though they're not at this grand level of enlightenment that you've reached, they still might teach you something. For so many, the, the trauma is leading, especially mm. when we talk about these 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 gender-based interactions. I, I had an experience recently, I'm not gonna go too much in depth with it, but it was, the conclusion was, this person and I had a, a, a misunderstanding and it's, uh, it was because I was a man. And, and if this individual, um, and I, apparently the way that I talked to him, uh, if, you know, it was quoted as, if he, if, if, if he wouldn't talk to, to me in that way, if he was attracted to me, right? And so for me, again, having the, the, the wherewithal that I have, I recognize what that stems from. That stems from a lot of trauma uh, related to, to men and throughout your experience, you're, you may be in the midst of, of your healing journey, and, but every situation isn't a result of gender. Right. Sometimes it's a result of somebody 
this might be a fucked up person. Somebody might be having a fucked up day, right? Or it just might just be a misunderstanding. But unfortunately, we, as a, as a society, it's, and it's not to say it's not, not influenced by, the, by all of these things, right? But we, we, we never look at it as just isolated in, in, in incidents. We don't look at things necessarily as, as situations where communication could be better. It's automatically ascribed to it's this, it's gender, it's sexuality, it's this, or it's in this. Yeah. And that's just patriarchy doing its work, right? <laughs> like, hey, there you go. Identity politics have become weapons at this point. They become ways for us to stay in our lane and ways for us to discount others before we even approach them. And agreed. Agreed. It makes. It makes sense why there is this fear of going beyond that right now, because it feels threatening. It feels unsafe. It yeah. feels risky. But we got to be taking those risks. And I, you know me, I'm going to say men, you take the risk more than anybody right now. You oh, all got to take a chance sure. on feeling something. For sure. It's because we know that any type of change, it has to, to reach an apex or a, a severe low for things to take place. And that's where we are. Things have, have been... This, this patriarchal system with with which we we all live in and we've adopted our personalities and, and which we're attempting to modify and just our behaviors and how we're showing up this has been in existence forever go get your favorite your favorite cycle go there go get your favorite book yeah your favorite <laughs> uh, theological book and it's going to show you how we, <laughs> we've been dealing with this for a very long time and so this idea of change even for it to take place in a day. For me, this is a continuous journey. I am going to get it wrong at times. Absolutely. Right. And I think that's 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 really key to bringing men in. We gotta allow it to be messy. That's the main thing I talk about at my group for, for the men's wellness is that I tell them, come in here and say the wrong thing. Make a mistake. Mess up. This is a space to do that in, but we need more spaces for men to develop the skills they need and be bad at them while they're trying to do that. Like every skill is learned. Unlearning patriarchy and learning healthy ways of relating to others is difficult. And then when you start talking about like 30 years old, 40 years old, that's a long routine right there we're trying to get through. So it's gonna be messy, it's gonna be bumpy. It ain't gonna be smooth sailing. Let the dudes come in, let them say something stupid, let them correct, and let them try to learn and do better. Not this, we need everything changing overnight, because that, that ain't never worked. <laughs> it's, it's just not a, rea it's not a reality. It's, 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 it's just not a reality. And it's, I'm always amazed by the, the shock that there hasn't been more substantive change as of yet. I'm, I'm always shocked by that. It's just like, well, the information is there. The literature is there. They just have to take it upon themselves to read. And I understand the sentiment. Let's, yeah. So let's talk, about, let's talk about mental health, right? The, the studies show, and I hate being that person that say studies show, um, <laughs> but studies show that it takes 10 years 
for somebody to get their mental health, quote unquote, under control. That's a lot of tri- a trial and error. For me, it, it definitely was, was 10 years, maybe even more, because you have, to, you have to navigate the epic flows of life in the midst of this. So when I went to my first therapist at 23 and she was terrible, it was just like, all right, I'm cool. Maybe I could do this on my own. Still being trying to be a little bit mindful. Not to say I didn't get a lot from, got something from her, but also recognize, you know what, that's not a space for me. And the way life was, okay, I'm navigating a job, I'm navigating all of these other responsibilities. It wouldn't be until my early 30s where I would go back to therapy. Right. And so we're talking right there, we're talking seven years right there of me doing the best that I can with what I have. In hindsight, it was a lot of crying. It was a lot of suicidal ideations. It was, it was so much. But it, it took time for this change. Now, the, 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 the seed was planted. The seed was planted at 23. The seed was planted at 20 when I was at my, my, who, who, my cycle of adjustment professor in college, when I went to go speak to him. The seed was planted then. The willingness to go and have these conversations was, was planted then. But it wouldn't manifest itself until what, 34, where it was really, okay, I, I'm, I realized everything I was taught about how I'm supposed to show up. I got the house, I got the car, I'm still unhappy. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm still finding myself relegated to, to one room in my house, even though now, now I do that and I enjoy it. But it's the reasoning is a lot different now. But it, again, this idea of change, we want it instantaneously because that's the culture that we, that we live in. Absolutely. And it's funny you bring up a story like this. I actually just sent a message to someone the other, just actually today. They had suggested that I read Bell Hooks All About Love eight years ago after I had shared something with them. And I reflected on that the other night that if I had taken that suggestion then, how had my trajectory possibly changed? Would I, would that emotional hit of the way she wrote some of those things, describing this absence of love in my life and describing the absence of the tools necessary to actually cultivate love. How would that have shifted things, right? How, how would that, like, how would, it, but then the idea is, is that like, like me too, early 30s was the first time I had therapy. So I trust my journey at this point. I'm happy with the way it's worked out. I also wanna make a note, since we're talking about mental health and we're talking about men's wellness, Hitting people over the head with go to therapy is elitism. I'm gonna say it again. Telling everybody to go to therapy is elitism. There's lots of barriers to therapy. Not everybody has the scratch to be like, yeah, let me throw that down. Let me throw that $135 down on a session real quick. So we need to have other ways for men to relate and do work on their mental health besides just saying therapy. Now, if you have the money to access therapy and you have a health plan, then yeah, I'm gonna hit you with a, what are you doing? Because now you're just being foolish. If you have access to mental health in these times and you're not taking advantage of an opportunity to see yourself for the first time and meet yourself for the first time and let those things drop that you've been carrying that are so goddamn heavy on your shoulders, well, then you're being foolish. But if you keep hearing that go to therapy and you don't have the money for it, it's okay. We also need better pools of therapists that are ready to deal with men. Like we also need to get that to be better. Like have therapists that are prepared to talk about patriarchy in a room when they're doing couples therapy, right? 
talk about the narratives, talk about the things that are affecting relationships and keeping men stuck in these loops. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I'm, I'm a proponent of therapy for sure, even though I'm anti Eurocentric psychology, like 98% of it. So even <laughs> like the, the, even just saying go to therapy, that's going to heal you or that's going to help you navigate this journey. There's, a bit of truth there, but then it's what are the practices that are that they are bringing in into the therapeutic setting? Um, is that is that conducive to to people, persons of the global majority? But that's a conversation for like two pods, two pods now, because uh, because I'm extremely critical of it. But yeah, I like the conversation that that society has been having, especially on social media, when it comes to to men's mental health. I. I but it's so limited. And I recognize that, that people, see, sometimes you got to microdose it, right? You got to microdose it. You got to meet, the, as you said earlier, you got to meet them where they are. But unfortunately, it's only microdosing. And it's not the whole shebang to where it's okay. We don't, we don't do anything in, in, in full form anymore. I post a video on, on social media and I get, yo, why are you posting a four minute video? Right? So <laughs> So think about that in terms of the conversations on mental health that are being had, where it's, it's literally just a meme, or it's a clip from Dr. Dr. Thema, who's amazing, but it's just a small clip. It's not her 60 minutes in a session or an hour conversation that she's having with folks. It's just this 30-second this clip. And maybe that is the seed planter, but at some point, you have to water it. And you can't just keep watering it with little little droplets. At some point, yeah. you need you may need a monsoon to come through and really get shit stirred. Yeah, and that makes me think of another question we got, which was, how are we preparing the next generation of boys to become men with tools? Like, what are we actually? And we just kind of we jumped on this one a little bit, I think, in the last pod where we were talking about how, like, yeah, SEL. That ain't happening in schools for the most part, at least not public schools. Yeah. And then there's some certain states now where, like, you're going to see a doubling down on rhetoric that is going to look like those books that you're talking about, those certain theological books, like where you're going to start hearing that kind of stuff being pushed back into schools at this point in certain states in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, what? Are or let's let's ask you, Doctor Phil. Let me throw the doctor out there for that one. <laughs> <laughs> what are we gonna What are we gonna set up these boys with, man? How do we reach them? I know we've talked about reading and things like that, but like, how do you see us getting things like mental health and wellness into conversations earlier for boys so that they're set up better for success? So we we have to show up. Right? Mm-hmm. We 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 have to show up. It can't be. It, it can't be, oh, they see me, and so and, and so they they potentially so get some some residual effects of of recognizing how important it is. Which part of so we're talking about, let's say, black male teachers, their presence is super necessary, right? It's super necessary. All the studies show that all students do well when there are more black male teachers, not in in roles where they're they're overseers for the most part, right? You're dean of students where they're disciplinarians, but no, when they're actually when they're actually teachers. But also we're taking it a step further. What are these conversations looking like in these classrooms that are taking place? What does it look like in the spaces that I go to the gym? 
it's this <laughs> it's this brother who he's a young brother he's about to go to penn state abington uh i know him from the gym and and i engaged with a lot of these young kids in the gym one young boy he the, the kid who was spotting me in my in my video i don't i don't even remember his name but i've been seeing him in the gym now for about two years if i see him during the day during the fall or spring semester i'm like do you have classes today right because mm -hmm. he goes to he goes to drexel he's like oh i mean I, it's a mass lecture but you gotta go you paying for this you wasting money right mm -hmm. so he knows when he sees me i'm going to have these conversations with him and it's not only that i'm also going to give you some pointers i'm also going to show you some love i'm going to show you attention yeah. another young brother who about to go to penn state abington i saw him today and he had the same like red band that i had because again the spaces that you frequent if, if there are kids there you should definitely engage with them right and so he was had to say i said oh, what you trying to be like me he said no i had this for a while and I, I i think he's he's autistic in some capacity um but he was like no I, i've always had this and he was like i was like oh all right all right and he was like but you are my hero phil and i was like no 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 i'm not your hero i'm not your hero he said okay you know my you're, you're just a wise person right and so, <laughs> but every time i i see him it puts a smile on my face because i i've i recognize just in talking to him i'm offering him something that he potentially needs but doubly he's offering me something that i need as well so when we talk about engaging with 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 the youth with young boys who were who growing up we didn't necessarily have, have this wherewithal at that age so what you're doing is you're potentially talking to a younger you you're engaging a younger you who didn't have this information but again, putting yourself in position to have these types of interactions. For me, like I recognize the benefits of sports. I recognize the benefits of coaches. That's, that's cute, that's healthy, but there's so much more to it. They can only, potentially only address one aspect of it. But we recognize like uh, Coach Malik who teaches, who, who te he teaches and he's the head football coach at Martin Luther King High School he what he's done to educate himself on mental health for his students for his football players who have lost children appears to gun violence to now where he's speaking about mental health using his platform as athletics as a coach to now be able to have these conversations so this is what it's going to take it's going to take other brothers it's going it's those intergenerational conversations i i, I told the story where so I, I, t I referenced Franz, Franz Fanon a bit, and I wasn't familiar necessarily familiar with who he is, but it was a, a gentleman who who would come to the men's group hashtag good man, Mr. Carlton, and you you know Mr. Carlton. He in his seventies. He wasn't taking no shit. He was retired as a as a lawyer. He he brought me wretched of the earth, and I cried because it was like I didn't really know what to say. And people was like, well, say thank you. I said, well, yeah, thank you. But it was just like, I'm not necessarily used to elders, especially elder men engaging with me in this way. It was a new phenomenon for me. I knew it yeah. felt good, it felt healthy and, and helpful. And I, I felt something I didn't necessarily feel before because my step pop, I love him, but he's from the, from the South. And so the idea of love is different, but even him now, 
he's like, you know, I love you, right? And this is a, a, a difference because maybe it took him in his 70 years, 70 some odd years to realize I need to show more, more compassion and show more love. So showing up for sure. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying that if the if the systems aren't providing, then how are we going to provide as a community? And then the simple answer to that is that if you got some boys in your life, what are you representing to them? What are you bringing to the table? How are you engaging them? Are you able to be a teacher? Because listen, we need that. We need that ability to connect in that way. And when you're talking about the surprise you felt when uh, you said Mr. Carlton was his name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When he gave you the book, like, I can't think of a single older man that ever attempted to pass on wisdom to me in my life outside of, like, family, which was minimal. Like, we need, we need to, to realize that once we have the potential to steady someone or ground them or possibly influence the way they see something in a better way, well, then we need to do it. And I'm personally of the mindset that you and I are both social workers. Social workers should be educators everywhere in their life. Everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. Like, there's a certain book I give to everyone that's a new parent in my life because it's a great book for body autonomy and talking about sex at a certain age. So everybody gets that book because I know it's a really good source. Like we need to pass on the information that's valuable at this point. That's the only way we're gonna get boys to be better set up for success. We need people mirroring what it looks like. And we can't and, depend and, on the schools. We, we can't depend on them, man. Well, all this shit burning down because none of this is sustainable. <laughs> no, seriously, none of, none of this is no, yeah. sustainable. We're talking about government. We're talking about white supremacy, patriarchy. We see what's taking place. None of these systems are collapsing. So it, 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 what is his name? Something, something backward that, that my homegirl, Envy McKee, she always says it at the end of her show, where he says the next, the, the second coming is community. And that's what it is. What's coming is community. And, and we're starting to see that we're starting to see that pay off. But when we talk about marrying something, and I've said it in a previous pod, there's this video of <laughs> an older gentleman with his son, and his son is kissing him on the head, kissing him on the cheek. He hugging him, and the old, the old head just sitting there. And he's a smooth old head, he's chilling, looking like a young boy, just sitting there. And his son, is, who's uh, in his 20s probably, is kissing him on his head. He's hugging him around his neck, and he's doing it repeatedly. And it was just like, that's what he did for him. You don't just get that out the clear blue. No, this is what he did with his son. And mm -hmm. so this is why with, with my son, I, I kiss him, I hug him, I kiss him on his cheek, kiss him on his neck, kiss him on his feet, just kiss, kiss, kiss. Because then it'll get to a point where the kiss on the lips is just not going to happen. Because society is going to come in and tell him, you can't do that. <laughs> right? There's, there's something related to your sexuality if you do that. As opposed to, but again, that's that's endemic to what? To to American culture, right? Because you go in other places, got double kisses on the cheek. You got kisses in, in, in different ways, but it's here where it's automatically attributed to, to your sexuality. But I just wanted to to bring that up, that point up before we get to to our next question. We got like like two more. 
so do you think the stereotype of a lot of men have commitment issues is true? And if so, why do you think men struggle with commitment? I got my answer to that. <laughs> uh, I think, first of all, I think across gender experience, people struggle with commitment. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not falling for that trap on that question. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I think, I, I'm just going to say what I think. I think that cishet normative structures that have set up how relationships should act, like, appear are failing people who are in them. I think that's where the problem in commitment is, is that we're not able to present our full selves at the table in those first few dates. We end up in relationships where all of a sudden we're in them and we haven't had any of the important conversations. We haven't talked about desires. We haven't talked about wants. We haven't talked about what I need to feel loved, what you need to feel loved. So I don't know if it's necessarily about the people in the relationships or the teaching that we're giving about relationships. Like we have reached this stage where like the relationship escalator decides things. Like, okay, you date a little bit. All right, you're feeling it, so you move in. Okay, we better get engaged soon. Oh, okay, let's get the marriage in there. Let's have the kid, let's have the house. And you think that these structures are maintaining your relationship. They're not. You have to maintain your relationship. You have to communicate with each other. So I don't think people are necessarily like, yeah, sure, someone might be afraid of commitment, but they're, what they're afraid of is they're not going to be able to be themselves in this relationship. They're afraid that they're not going to be able to show up 100% as they are in this relationship. So therefore, they can't commit all the way because a lot of people think commitment means I need to become what they need. And that ain't it. Commitment is committing to the idea, like me and my current partner, we're committed to the idea that each of us are going to continue to grow and evolve and we'll continue to try to meet each other there. That's what we're committed that's to. It. That's it. That's, that's it. it. That's it. That's it. Uh, so, uh, uh, so I Googled it right quick because I was curious. The average age for couples going through their first divorce is 30 years old. Boom. I did it. 35. There you go. 60% of all divorces involve individuals age 25 to 39. Mm. How about this, though? If you wait until the ages of of 25 to 29, your risk of divorce goes down to 14%. It drops down to 10% if you wait until 30 to 34. What's the trend? Yeah. You have more experience, you understand life a little bit better, you lived a little bit more, you're a little bit more solidified in your career, if that's something that, that's meaningful for you. Mm -hmm. So now we're in this stage, okay, when can I share this with somebody else? Now mm -hmm. I'm in a position. But unfortunately, but how we view certain things like sex, because God forbid you have sex, even though every, I don't want to say that, majority <laughs> of people are here on earth as a result of sexual intercourse, right? That's just a, that's just a, a fact. Now we can get, we can, you know, some individuals are a result of forced upon sex, which we know is rape, which is extremely problematic, right? But it's still this idea of I have to be in a committed relationship to, to, to have sex because these are the ideas that are that are, are pushed through whatever religious doctrine that you subscribe to. You 
especially as a woman, you have to be pure. You have to so you have to wait until marriage. And there's no shade on that. If that's what you choose to do, but but also this this there are individuals who are like, listen, I want to just explore. Why does a, a you and I going off on a date have to be about intention? Why can't the intention be we're going to eat these red lobster biscuits? We're going to fuck them up. We're going to have some good conversation, and we're going to see if we're going to do this again. Why does it have yes. to be I'm looking for marriage? I may be looking for marriage, but it might not be you. So why are we having this conversation on a first date? And that's, yeah. that's you got to lower always, the stakes, man. Lower the stakes. Lower it's the all stakes, or nothing. people. It's, and it's, that's it's, that whole that's that whole grind mentality and like this idea that if you're not on the relationship escalator in some way, if you ain't married or on your way to becoming married, you're doing something wrong. And that ain't the case. That ain't the case. Some people People just they want to rock out and do their own thing and that's cool but and and conversely though right it's it's it is a certain and i could speak for me fresh out of a a, a four-year relationship where it would probably be healthiest relationship that i've ever had and i can all i can always say that there is a certain fear that exists about getting into another relationship that's long term because nobody wants to be wrong right even though me with all the with the skills that I had and my ability to cope with the, the hurt and the pain that might come from a breakup. There's still a f- idea of I don't want to be wrong. Instead of looking at it from what we talked about with 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 Sisyphus and I'm this is just a, a part of my journey that I'm creating on my own. This is this isn't indicative of who I am or I'm attributing so much more to it than actually what it is, yeah. even so, even still recognize that there's still a, a certain fear is because you don't want to disappoint. See, people don't acknowledge that when it comes to men. Men don't necessarily want to disappoint, but they just do anyway, <laughs> right? A lot of times. <laughs> right? So yeah, man, it's there's just this idea, and again, we can have this conversation when we when we unpack a, a Bell Hooks book when it comes yeah. to relationships. And men, and just this idea of of commitment, man, it's it's a scary proposition because it is all or nothing, and that doesn't have to look like that too. We can change the way that looks, and I do think with the way the question was formed and the idea that men have struggled with commitment more than women, I will say that men probably on the whole have t- more difficulty coming to the table to even discuss commitment than women do, because again, we got to remember men are missing the tools, people. They don't, they, they barely know themselves. So how do you want them to emotionally connect to you? Like we have to, yeah, we have to keep that in mind, yeah. but it's not necessary just that men are out here. Like, don't hit me with the biology thing. I ain't going to, I'm not going to get down with that. Like, well, yeah, men no, are no, meant no. to, we're, yeah. no, we're not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I say <laughs> it's a lot about, it's a lot about conditioning for some. It's a lot of FOMO fear of missing out. Mm. Uh, yeah. And then some people aren't supposed to, to be in a committed relationship that's just not the the deal now i see um sister wives is about to come back on and the guy he's going through a lot of shit because i think he found the one person he got had like four or five sister wives but he started focus hyper focusing on one and now he's in a, a position where his other sister with his other wives are like oh it's you what's wrong with you and this idea of now he's looking at commitment different but again, he's evolved as an individual. 
whatever that looks like for him. But we have to be open to to different ideas of relationship. I was in a polyamorous relationship for like for like 17 days. It was a good 17 days. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was it was a good and that video was circulating on my on my YouTube, my 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 ex-partner and she was like, "Listen, you can go go ahead, do you? I'm open, I'm progressive." It was just a, it was me who was just like, "Wait, what?" open late what and so i went out a couple days with this with this sister who i was feeling and she was she was cool with it and it was just like oh nope we gotta sew that up <laughs> like this, you gotta make a decision and it was just like oh all right and the decision will be made um but again just even having the decision and being comfortable and having that conversation when it comes to things like like polyamory because it's not always about it's not about sex again this, this is how things are 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 posed to us in the society like it's oh you just want to go have sex with another nah because you just connect with different people like bell hook said there's there's yeah. no different love between friendship love and romantic love there's no difference all right and so you can have the love with people yeah the idea of the one is killing relationships nobody can <laughs> No one can relate to you on a one-to-one -one level. There's too many facets to our, our personalities. There's too many things that we enjoy that we're gonna find someone that enjoys all those same things. It's silly, it's foolish, it's a fool's errand. We need to see that love is much more diverse than that and that we can, we can love more than one person at a time, people, it's possible. You, you already do it. You do it every day. Like it's yeah. just we get we get we get caught up in in the noise and we get caught up in insecurity and fear and that's mine like that's mine kills love personally that's just my thought <laughs> yeah yeah I was I was in conversation with a with a with a sister from from London short term and she was like you know I just want my person to to be my everything and, and I just like I don't want to be nobody everything. Because <laughs> I, I tried, yo, I did that. Yeah, been there, done that. No, I don't. I yeah, don't want, we we could be homies. We could be cool. We could we could rock out. We got some things in common. But you, it's, I don't want to be your everything because you can't be my everything. Mm. It's impossible. Right? Yeah. It's it's impossible. So as we as we full agreement. Yeah, 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 yeah. As we as we wind down, we got this last question. Now this one was heavy. <laughs> this was what they call Facebook deep, um, and not to make light of it at all, because it is it is serious. Um, that's the reason why I saved it for the end. So the person says, so sex has been non-existent with my long-term partner since my cancer diagnosis. Part of me thinks it's because he sees me as hurt or ill, or maybe he doesn't see me as sexual anymore. My therapist says this is common after a serious diagnosis. I'd love to know what y'all think. Well, first and foremost, Hopefully, you know, you're in remission in some capacity. So send you send you love and light for for sure. I, I'll let you tackle that first before I, I open my thoughts. So it's tough, right? It's tough. I heard long term partners. So it's a long term relationship. And anytime we're talking about intimacy disconnections that go for a long period of time in a long term relationship, that is complicated. That is a heavy terrain. There's lots of feelings in it. There's lots of charged energy. There's just a lot of energy in the room when you're trying to figure that out. 
and then you add something heavy like a cancer diagnosis on top of it, it's going to make that even heavier. Now, as far as like sussing out exactly why it's happening, I don't know if we can do that, but I would say that it begins at communication. Bingo. Any, I listen. I did a I did a workshop last night, and uh, it was on kink as trauma work. And at one point, I was talking about how kink offers a lot of really good relationship skills because we learn how to talk, we learn how to communicate with each other on a very deep level. Like there's negotiation, there's consent, there's a back and forth, there's an understanding the why that motivates the other person. So that having conversations of this nature are more tangible. They're easier to move through because you understand, there's, you know the details. You've already had the early conversations. So I would say that communication is where this begins. Now, how do we bring it up if it hasn't been brought up before? Again, carefully with care and compassion I would start by bringing it up as something that you miss that you want not something that you're not getting from him because then yeah. we got the idea of critique we got the idea of I'm coming down on you instead you're saying hey I really miss connecting with you in this way and and then like follow it up with more questions like is it because of my diagnosis do you see me not as a sexual person anymore because I'm dealing with cancer and chemo and everything that comes with that like ask i know it feels super scary to ask those kinds of questions that vulnerability is massive but if they are a person that you've grown to love and you believe that they care for you i think the best way of reconnecting or at least figuring out how to reconnect is having those very difficult conversations yeah no great response great response so I want to take it back to, and I, I want to read it again, because I, I think there were some some key ideas in, that that offer some insight potentially into the, the nature of the relationship. And I'm not saying that whether it's healthy or unhealthy, but just author, offer a key, that offers key insight. So sex has been non-consistent, has been non-consistent with my long-term partner since my cancer diagnosis. Pause. I understand, right, that the individual, one person is, is physically afflicted with cancer in this moment in time. But it is an hour, right? It is an hour because he's affected just as well. I remember when, my, when we went to, for a wellness check for my son, it was his first couple appointments, and they were inquiring with his mother as to whether she was experiencing postpartum depression so asking her questions and jokingly but i was serious i was like well what about me <laughs> right like hey i'm here i'm experiencing some some different emotions and feelings men can experience postpartum depression as well but it wasn't thought of it, it was thought of as, as, as isolated and i'm not saying what this is what this individual does but looking at it from a perspective of this is something we both are dealt with right and how he's potentially navigating part of me thinks it's because he sees me as hurt or ill this goes to the point that you were talking about our thoughts our, our thoughts will go take us to the worst place right we will go to the worst case scenario worst reasoning as to why this is not happening and it's not to say that you're wrong but it goes to this 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 need for communication between the two that mike talked about 
or maybe he doesn't see me as sexual anymore. We don't necessarily know. We need to have, this is where the conversation comes in. Maybe it's something, it's some type of guilt he may be feeling. Maybe he's impacted by the, the diagnosis. Maybe his libido is in, influenced by it, right? But this is, the, this is the importance of having these types of, of conversation. My maybe he's says, scared. Maybe he, maybe he's scared. It's, yeah. But again, these are the types of things that you suss out in conversation. Your therapist might be a great place to start. Like, hey, I want you to come with me, all right? Yeah. Just to just to come, because I, I, you know, I just I, I want to know your thoughts on on some things, or maybe a conversation that you both hold. But including him, right, into into this space and understanding where he, how he's showing up, right, and how he's impacted by it. And then it's you know, again, in all things being considered, if we have this communication piece. That's when we can start to really start to move into, okay, well, what does sexual intimacy look like for us? Mm-hmm. Are we just talking about the sexual act? Or are we talking about a sexual intimacy where we're watching Netflix and you're just laying on me and, and he's stroking my hair? Mm-hmm. Because that is also a, a form of intimacy. What other types of ways of intimacy can we do and can we engage in that maybe isn't necessarily the act, but could lead, it could be some potential buildup? Right, to where we can show each other, hey, I still adore you. I'm still attracted to you. I still like you. And this isn't for just individuals who, who are navigating some type of, of, of diagnosis or some change to the situation. You gotta continuously reinvent. Yeah. You gotta continuously reinvent. I know my libido drops off after year one. It's like, yo, I'm cool. I don't necessarily, you know what I mean, gotta necessarily engage. I mean like Chris Rock said, and I think I love my wife, I'm enjoying the non-sex that we're having because it's, it's not something for me that's ever been been the main thing. Now, I'm not saying I don't enjoy I do enjoy it, but there's so much more to the individual than sex. And maybe those things are present in this situation, right? Then there's certain things like, like date night. Maybe you got to schedule it. Maybe you got, again, but these things comes, come with communication because you can't have a solution by yourself, right? Yeah. You can no, and like you, you hit on like a lot of good things because there is a lot at play here. And there's also the idea of how sex is looked at differently between men and women sometimes. Like hearing, I know at times in my relationship when there is mismatched libidos or we're not lining up. And if my partner, like before I had done like a lot of work and if my partner brought that to me, I would feel less than right away. I would feel like this idea that I have to perform, where it becomes this task I have to complete, right? When the good chances, usually when like sexual intimacy drops off, what we're really asking for is, do you still desire me? Am I, am I still desirable to you? That's all we're really looking for. We're looking for an affirmation that I am still valued how I remember being valued by you, even though we haven't been doing it. We haven't been in that space of physical intimacy because we're really just being we just want to be affirmed that's it i'm still desirable in your eyes yeah i need to know that i need to feel that in your touch or the way you look at me or the way we talk and i'm sure in this case it's probably wanted even more by the person that submitted the question because when you're dealing with something heavy there's something really cathartic about being in a space of intimacy with a partner that you share this depth of vulnerability with it can be so affirming when you're going through yep. difficult times. So 
but like yeah like you said like communication is the the beginning and the end of this the yeah. only, only way we figure out the answers we want in relationships is by asking the questions yeah if we don't yeah. ask them we're not going to figure them out yeah but also with that as you as you show and again that's something this is something you talk about with with your therapist is not putting a timetable on it your needs matter yeah as well yeah. <laughs> right and so if you aren't being fulfilled then this is also a conversation that needs to take place and if it's a continuous pattern you'll either make the decision hey is is this something i can deal with or you know what maybe it's we our time has come for mm. now for us yeah. to, to have a different rock to push up the hill or down the hill or, or create <laughs> create create a different uh, a different life for ourselves because we we created this one life and how we thought it was going to be but life is the like octavia butler said god has changed the only thing that's consistent in this world is change and so maybe it might be an opportunity even though you're not that's i don't think you want that right now but it may be something to consider if we start to see that your needs aren't being met because you're in this too yeah and i just want to add that like a lot of times in long-term relationships we see this moment as very bad and very scary but it's a really great opportunity to develop a whole new relationship. It's a really great opportunity to rediscover, because listen, if you've been in it for a while, maybe flavors have changed. Maybe there's new things you need to explore. Maybe there's new avenues that you need to talk about. And like, because of this, the intimacy has waned, it's presented an opportunity where you can have that conversation. So like, be excited about it a little bit, be curious. I guess that's my theme tonight. Be curious. We gotta be more curious out here. Word. 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 Well listen, man, it's been a it's been a strong hour and twenty some odd minutes. My eyes wow. are red red as wow. heck right now. It's hot. Did not realize we went that long. Yeah, yeah, it was it was rolling. It was rolling. So listen, I appreciate everybody tuning in. Mike, you let the people know how they can reach out to you. Yeah, yeah, uh just like we talked about at the top of the show. Sisyphean absurdity is my handle. It's the same thing I gave out last night at my workshop, and there were some confused faces in the crowd for it then too. But yeah, I just I don't want to get caught up in creating a professional account. Like I'm just me. This is me being in the world, the different things I'm creating, uh, the things I got going on right now. I did the workshop last night. I still got the men's group going on, and uh, yeah, we'll see what comes up next. Word, word. And as always, you can reach out to me. I know you, Jay-Z, Jay-Zites have been reaching out to me on TikTok. I went semi-viral on TikTok. Got about 30,000 <laughs> views at last <laughs> count for critiquing, uh, for critiquing your man capitalistic whole. But you can catch me on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can check out, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Definitely on YouTube, hit the little button that's right there in the corner at the bottom. Um, see me on socials, Phil underscore Roundtree. Until next time, peace.